We all have stories of how we got to this very moment, in mass, together. When you share your story, however you share it, you are inviting others to experience the life of privilege that your faith has gifted you. Telling your story helps you understand it on a deeper level, revealing why you went through challenges and how there is no explanation other than Jesus that led you to this better place. These unexplainable moments that strengthened your faith have power. That power is multiplied when shared. We are in the second week of our current message series all about sharing our faith, sharing our faith. More specifically, we want to inspire, encourage, and equip you to share your faith with people who have become disconnected from Christ and His church or never had a connection in the first place. We believe sharing our faith grows our faith and helps us develop a closer connection to Christ. Our faith grows when we take some time, extend some energy, and put some thought into helping other people connect to Christ. Sharing your faith helps you grow personally, just as it obviously helps the church grow corporately. We all benefit when new people who have been disconnected from a faith community connect with our community. We don't share our faith because we're right and everybody else is wrong. We don't share our faith because we're trying to trick people into joining our club or strong-arming them into believing what we believe or just because we want to be bigger. We share our faith because we want the best for others. We want them to enjoy more successful living. While some people do reject or ignore God outright, it's clear that many people, if not most people, stay away from God and church because they don't feel welcome. They do not feel welcome. They never got the invitation. At its core, sharing your faith with others is about an invitation, an invitation to a celebration, the biggest celebration of all, the biggest celebration ever, the kingdom of heaven. Here at the Eucharist, we anticipate and participate in the truth that is the kingdom of heaven. And that can impact and change and transform our daily lives. And when it does, as a consequence, we love people best when we care enough about them to share this experience. The greatest value you and I can ever add to someone's life is to help them see clearly the truth of the kingdom of heaven as we can experience it here at the Eucharist. Our role is not to discern who's good and who's bad, who's right and who's wrong, who's in and who's out, who's worthy and who's unworthy. Our role is not to discern who will accept and who will reject the invitation. Our role is to make the invitation. How do we do that? Our strategy is simple. We talk about it all the time. We say, invest and invite. Invest and invite. Invest in friends, family members, co-workers, classmates, disconnected from Christ and His church, and when appropriate, invite them 
to join us here on Ridgely Road or online, or perhaps first one and then the other. Over the course of this series, my hope is that we grow in our appreciation of what we're doing here, and we grow in our desire to share this experience. Today we're going to continue our reflection by looking at a passage that perhaps you haven't really considered very much before. It's taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, which was today's first reading. Isaiah lived 700 years before Christ. He's one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah is a rich book of prophecies that forecast major world events. In addition, Isaiah offers important insights into who Israel's long-awaited Messiah would be and what he will accomplish. Isaiah's book is often called the fifth gospel because it foretells so much about the message, mission, and ministry of Jesus. Another major theme of Isaiah is God's desire to make himself known to the nations, not just the people of Israel. We see this especially played out in the 45th chapter, as Isaiah wrote, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing nations before him, stripping kings of their strength, opening doors before him. What's that about? Well, Cyrus is an important historical figure who ruled over the Persian Empire around the year 600 B.C. He became the most powerful man in the world after the Persians conquered the Babylonians, becoming the most powerful empire in the world. And Scripture calls him anointed. That's significant. Cyrus is the only non-Jew so named in Scripture. The term anointed was reserved for Jewish priests and prophets and kings, suggesting a very special designation, a special blessing, setting them apart to accomplish the Lord's purpose and plan. The anointed of the Lord were in a class by themselves, and Cyrus was included in that class. Cyrus, a pagan, a Persian, was selected by God as his chosen instrument, his chosen son and servant, to reestablish and renew the Jewish community after their return from the Babylonian exile and to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians. As the most powerful man in the world, he was in a perfect position to do it. History remembers him as Cyrus the Great. And while on the surface it looked like Cyrus was great and had accomplished his own remarkable success all alone and by himself, God saw things differently. Take another look at that passage. Thus says the Lord to the anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing nations before him, stripping kings of their strength, opening doors before him. Who's doing all the hard work and the heavy lifting? God, not Cyrus. God opened doors so that Cyrus could succeed. We use that metaphor all the time to describe the experience of important opportunities. An open door is an opportunity, an opportunity to advance our career, expand our organization, get into a good school, make more money, 
God opened the doors for Cyrus to come to power and to exercise power, and without God's help, he would not have known power. He would not have succeeded. Why? Why did he do that for Cyrus? He goes on to tell him, I will go before you that you may know I am the Lord, the God of Israel. God says he's done all this so that Cyrus can come to know the Lord, can come to know that the Lord God of Israel is God alone, and so that others will in turn recognize God and recognize God at work in Cyrus's success. When it comes to the question of sharing our faith, one of the challenges we might face and feel living in a community and culture like ours where, frankly, people have all their physical needs easily met and live fairly affluent and comfortable lives. One of the challenges we might feel and face is that often it doesn't seem like people need God. And a lot of people certainly act like they don't. And it can strike us as challenging to try and influence people when it comes to faith, to even try and introduce God or faith into the conversation can seem like an impolite imposition or an unwelcome intrusion. How to overcome that obstacle? Maybe you could more easily share your faith if you were in the middle of the Ukraine or in war-torn Gaza where people are desperate for God. But how are you supposed to do it in Timonium? On one hand, no one's life is ever as good as it appears from the outside. Everybody has struggles, just like everybody needs God, of course. But even when life is good and seems to be full of success, even the most successful among us didn't achieve their success on their own. Our faith tells us that God is the giver of all good gifts. He's the author of every success. It's God who has opened doors that would otherwise remain closed. God has opened doors for you that you could not open on your own. Same for me, too. The greatest success that I've had personally, I suppose, has been the publishing of our first book, Rebuilt, and the project of this new church sanctuary. In both cases, in both cases, it was a question of God's plan. Definitely not my plan. Definitely not my plan. In both cases, God's power and provision were all over those plans. There were doors God unmistakably opened, relationships He undoubtedly established, opportunities He clearly afforded that were nothing short of divine intervention. Without His hand over those projects, they would not have been completed. Without His hand over those projects, they probably wouldn't have even been begun. For example, our book, Rebuilt, did not face a very bright future when it was first published, given the fact that Tom, my co-author, and I were first-time authors, first-time thoroughly unknown authors, writing on a topic nobody had ever written on before because nobody really cared about. The same week that the book was released, the very same week, 
Do you know what happened? The Pope resigned. For the first time in 500 years, the Pope resigned. And within days, a new Pope was elected who took the name Francis, which no Pope had ever taken before because, Pope Francis said in his opening address, he wanted to fashion his administration after Francis of Assisi, whose model is, let us rebuild. Suddenly, the Pope is selling our book for us. It was totally a God thing, and seeing God's hand did not diminish the joy that I took in publishing Rebuilt. It enhanced and expanded it. It multiplied the joy. Knowing that God cares enough about your personal success can and should bring joy to your heart. Knowing Almighty God, the King of everything, cares about you enough to open doors for you and then take you by the hand and lead you through those doors should make you feel incredibly special. And you may push back and say, well, you're a pastor and this is a church and maybe that happens here, but it doesn't really happen in the real world. But I know many people who have enjoyed success in nearly every sector and profession who would say otherwise. Some of the very most successful people in this parish who are among some of the most successful people in this community, would be the very first to tell you that their success is the work of the Lord. They know God opened the doors for them and led them by the hand as He walked them through those doors. Whatever success you've had, God opened doors for you too. Why? To know Him more personally, and to understand your story and his role in your story well enough that you can share it with others. The more you can see how God has opened doors for you, the better testimony you'll have when it comes to sharing faith. The better you'll be able to help others see God's hand in their success. If you missed last week, we challenged everyone to identify two or three unchurched family or friends or co-workers or classmates and start praying for them. Start praying for them as a way of investing in them in preparation for inviting them to church during the Advent season or on Christmas Eve. If you haven't done that, think about it. Who could you be praying for? If you have done that, keep on praying. And this week, pray that they can also come to see some of the grace and favor that's flowed through their lives, the doors God's opened for them. Pray for just five or six minutes each day, every morning, or whatever time of day works well for you. And in your prayer, also ask God to help you to know your own story better. Ask God to help you see how he's opened doors for you, too. Ask him to help you see how following his will and his way even more closely in the coming week can bring still more success for you. Far from diminishing our success, knowing God's hand has shaped it makes our success, makes our success all the more significant.
Thanks for watching. Be sure you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples by sharing this video. We're grateful that you're part of this community.